Olympic history in Tokyo. Hello and welcome to the Around the Rings Tokyo Report. I'm Ed Hula. As we head to the close of these Olympics, we're sure Tokyo 2020 will get a hefty chapter in the proverbial history of the Games. There were plenty of firsts in Tokyo, as well as some all-time great results from the Olympians. Here to put it all in perspective is Olympic historian Bill Mallon. He joins us from Tokyo. Mallon, a former professional golfer, went back to school to become an orthopedic surgeon. But he's also maintained a lifelong interest in the history of the Olympics. He is a past president of the International Society of Olympic Historians. And as I say, he's uh, with us now in Tokyo, where he is uh, observing uh, what will be, I guess, the history of the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, Bill Mallon, good to talk to you and uh, a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you, Ed. It's great to be with you again. As I mentioned, we're missing you here in Tokyo. Well, I miss you and I miss uh, miss all my f- friends and colleagues there in Tokyo. And I miss Tokyo. It's a, it's a fantastic city. It's uh, one of my favorites in the world. I love the food. I love the people. I love taking the subway. And Yeah. Yeah, you, you can't do any of that here in Tokyo during the games, Ed. You can't eat anywhere. You can't... Uh, take the subway uh, it's disappointing for me too because i i've never actually been in tokyo per se before this is my fifth trip to japan but all my other meetings which were orthopedic meetings were in other cities so all i did was fly into tokyo airport and then get a connector to the other city so i was looking forward to seeing tokyo which i really haven't and and for me tokyo is where my uh, olympic professional career sort of began or took root because I came to Tokyo in 1990 as a radio reporter to cover the uh, IOC vote for the 1996 Olympics, which uh, uh, coincidentally was won by Atlanta, and that changed changed everything in my book. I'm well, sure that I, was a, a vote near and dear to your heart, being an Atlanta native. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, back to Tokyo here. As I said uh In my introduction, plenty of history in Tokyo. I mean, um, when you when you look at these games, and you said they're unique, like none other. Does that uh, qualify them for a a place in the history books? Well, absolutely. Um, You know, the pandemic Olympics uh, or the Panlympics. you know, the, the most important thing is it, it looks like they've pulled it off. Uh, they've managed to hold an Olympic Games in the middle of a pandemic um, without it being a super spreader event. Um, they've been very strict on um, uh, the restrictions they've put in place, uh, the, the bubble per se. Um, and uh, it looks like it's been a success. They've brought the, the world together um, just as they do every two years. And it, and it, and it's going pretty well once it uh, once everybody got to Tokyo and the games got underway. There seemed to have been uh, very few operational issues. Yeah, well, I wasn't expecting any uh, operational issues in terms of the Tokyo organizing committee. I, you know, they're so efficient over here. I, I knew that the games would run well. The only question was the, the virus and. 
if they could contain it. And it looks like they have. Um, there have been a few athletes, you know, drop out uh, uh, on the U.S. side. Uh, Sam Kendricks in the pole vault, Bryson DeChambeau, both those they both tested positive. There's been a few others. The was the the Ghanaian um, water polo. Uh, there's a team that just had five positives and had to quarantine and withdraw from the games. Uh, Greek uh, artistic swimming team, right? Greek artistic swimming, and um, but uh, overall, uh, really relatively few uh, problems uh, with the virus to date. Um, uh, thank goodness. And when you look at all the Olympic games of the modern era, has there been any of them before Tokyo where there was ever was a, a possibility of a postponement or an outright cancellation? Well, um, several games are canceled because of World War I and II. 1916 uh, was canceled, and then the summer and winter games were canceled in 1940 and 44. Uh, I don't think um, there was ever a uh, games close to being canceled or postponed other than those. Um, 1976 in Montreal, um, this was not well known at the time. It leaked out over 30 years later uh, and was kind of revealed from some IOC members saying that Lord Kalanin, the then president of the uh, IOC, was so concerned about the Montreal Organizing Committee and their um, uh, efforts leading up to the games. They actually had Amsterdam as a backup host, which would have been amazing if they could have done that. Um, but no, nothing really like Tokyo. And um, the, the the conditions around a disease, I mean, we had, a, had Spanish flu in 1918, 1917, but that didn't play yeah. a factor um, in Stockholm or, 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 or Antwerp uh, games. Yeah. 1918 Spanish flu, you know, people, yeah, I'm a, as you mentioned, I'm a, I'm an orthopedic surgeon MD and um, I've read a fair amount about the Spanish flu uh, from 1918, which is what it's always called. Um, it's a way worse pandemic than anything we've gone through. Um, you know, the estimates are that 50 to 100 million people died from that worldwide. And that's in a population that was about one seventh the population of the world now. So you're talking about um, would have been, you know, three to 500 million people killed if it was the same order of magnitude. And, and I'm not trying to dismiss the seriousness of uh, the COVID pandemic at all. However, for the Olympics, um, you know, they were held in 1920. Um, the Spanish flu pandemic kind of burned itself out in early 1919. So they were fortunate it didn't affect them too much. Um, one thing that's not often written in the media, the more severe a pandemic is in terms of uh, its lethality, the quicker it burns out because it kills off so, so much of its hosts. It's when something has a, a low lethality ratio um, that it tends to linger, which is, seems to be what's going on with this Delta variant. Um, it's more infectious, but seemingly slightly less deadly. And so it's making this pandemic linger and carry on. Um, one of my most uh, despised phrases as a, as a writer and as an editor of copy 
is the uh, is the phrase makes history, and we've really heard a lot of that. I guess especially if you're watching as much NBC <laughs> as I am, um, everything seems to make history. I'm looking at uh, just Google News here and headlines: uh, Batagaziev Reagan make Olympic history for pro boxers. Uh, New Jersey native Carl Carly Lloyd makes. U.S. Women's National Team Olympic history. Trans weightlifter Laurel Hubbard makes Olympic history. And uh, Sky Brown aims to become youngest individual gold medalist in Olympic history. Uh, how much of this stuff is actually history? Well, I mean, all of it is technically history to some degree. It's just a question of what's important history or not, or, uh, what's trivial. Um, and I'm the wrong one to complain about trivial because most of what I deal in is trivial statistics usually. And uh, I certainly get criticized for that sometimes, but, um, you know, I think there's been some historic moments in these games. The most historic is not mentioned much in the U S media. Um, and again, I, I never see NBC, um, Ed, because I, I go to the Olympic Games. Uh, so unless the games are in the U.S., and which the last time was Salt Lake City, I, I never see what they're saying on NBC. Um, but the most historic thing in this game to me, Emma McKean, an Australian swimmer, won seven medals here in uh, Tokyo, um, four golds and three bronze medals. That's the most medals ever won by a woman at one Olympic Games Uh it's been done one other time in 1952, a Soviet gymnast named Maria Gorakovskaya also won seven medals, won Olympics. But uh, Emma McKean equaled that mark and it's pretty historic. And I, I don't know if NBC has mentioned it or if it's been mentioned much back in the U.S. Um, I have not listened to every second of their coverage, but, um, you know, I haven't I haven't heard that. And that, you know, is certainly seems to be a, a much bigger marker than uh, a lot of this other stuff that we've, that we've had. Uh, we did have um, the first known transgender athlete to compete at these games, Lauren Hubbard from New Zealand in weightlifting. She finished well off of the uh, medal standings. So, uh, you know, it, it, it was, you know, a way for her to to compete at the same time did not create any further controversy. But how big of a, a moment do you think that is for for transgender athletes looking forward um, as as the Olympics uh, uh, deal? I don't with know how big it is, um, and it's a very controversial topic with uh, rational arguments on both sides of the. Uh, uh, um, divide there uh she um, actually not only didn't finish well she didn't finish she she never completed a, a valid lift um she failed on all three of her lifts so she um didn't really uh progress at all in the competition um she's certainly uh going to be looked at as uh, an inspiration to the transgender community um and it's historic uh, in that vein you know, we're talking today on the Tokyo Report with Olympic historian Bill Mallon in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, we've had perhaps the youngest Olympians, the youngest medalists at these Olympic Games. Do we know that for sure? Um, well, 
we've had very young medalists, but not the youngest. Uh, the youngest medalist we had here was in um, women's uh, skateboarding, uh, Kokoki Iraki, the Japanese skateboarder who was not quite 13 years old yet, 12, 12 years, 334 days. Um, there's younger medalists than that. Uh, there, there may be one in 1896, a Greek gymnast who was 10 years old, 10 years and 216 days, named Demetrius Lundris. Uh, that's a little controversial. We're not quite sure if his date of birth is accurate, but there's also a younger uh, um, medalist at the Winter Games, uh, Cecilia College, um, who was 11 uh, in figure skating in 1936. Now, yeah, figure skating has an has an age limit for uh, age minimum for 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 skaters, I believe. So, I think that's somewhere in the neighborhood of yeah, it, fourteen now. Th that record can't be yeah, that record can't be broken. And uh, there's several sports on the program that have age limits for the athletes, uh, both young age limits and boxing has a an, uh, older age limit. Um, so the record for the oldest boxers and boxing medalists can't ever be broken either with current rules. Um, the at these Olympics, uh, who's who's the oldest? I'm aware of Andrew Hoy, who is uh, 62. I believe he's the oldest Australian to compete at an Olympic Games. Uh, anybody? Yeah, he, he uh, won um, a medal. He won a medal in eventing. Um, at six, a little over 62 years old. Um, he's the oldest medalist here, uh, but the oldest gold medalist was a German uh, rider in Team Dressage, Dorothy, Dorothy, uh, Dorothy Schneider. I'm not trying to pronounce that first name. She was a little over 52 years old, um, but neither one approaches the uh, uh, all-time records. The oldest medalist ever was Oscar Swan, the Swedish shooter, who was 72 back in 1920. And he was also the oldest gold medalist in 1912 when he was uh, uh, well into his 65th year. Looking at the ancient games, how old were athletes then? Do we have any idea what what range of uh, ages uh, were in the competition well, we've had, 3,000 years ago? Yeah, yeah, we've had trouble tracking the birth certificates of those guys, Ed. <laughs> so we're not really too sure. We know the age of a few of them. Uh, you know, just from historical records, but that's you know, all we hear is an age number and it's probably an estimate. Uh, I've never heard of anybody really very old, you know, 20s and 30s, uh, early 30s is the oldest I ever remember seeing. Now, Tokyo comes with some events that are first of their kind uh, for the Olympics. We've seen the introduction of uh, skateboarding, surfing. Uh, uh, sport climbing into the uh, into the program here for the for the, for the first time. Um, uh, it, it, will Will Tokyo be remembered as a, as a starting starting point for some of these sports as as they uh, as they age and mature on the Olympic program? We'll be remembered for having them for the first time. You know, the Olympic program is very different than it used to be. It used to be the same sports every year, Olympics after Olympics. Now they review the program after every Olympics and they adjust it. Um, you know, for instance, baseball and softball have not been on the program at the last two Olympics, but they were brought back 
for this games. Um, karate was also added to the program this time, but karate will not be held in Paris at 2024. Um, and, you know, other sports like golf, but it's not certain golf is going to go forward, although it'll probably come back for 2028 if it doesn't um, occur in 2024. So, you know, Tokyo will be remembered for having some several of these new sports, but uh, that seemed to be uh, um, kind of, you know, the, the new paradigm from the IOC that they changed the program quite a bit more than they used to. Um, as we're speaking, the 50K race walk is taking place in Sapporo, and it will be uh, the last uh, last 50K race walk in the, uh, in the Olympics. It's to be dropped in the future because it's a sport that doesn't have uh, a, uh, a, a female equivalent. For gender equality, yeah, um, yeah. What they're doing there, and actually, it sort of has a female equivalent at the 2019 um, World Athletics Championships track and field. They did, they did have the women do a 50k race walk. There were only six competitors, as I recall. Um, and um, the the question was, they wanted they want complete gender equity on the program. And the question was if they would add a 50K race walk for women to match the men's, but they decided instead to drop the men's 50K race walk, and they're going to add a mixed gender race walk relay. Um, and the last I heard, it was going to be about 35 kilometers. Uh, so the men and women will each uh, walk a couple legs of uh, uh, that event. And then there are sports such as modern pentathlon which uh, seems to have been, you know, been facing uh, questions about its relevance uh, on the Olympic program for as long as I've been covering the game since the, uh, since the 1990s. Um, It's, it's the sport of the founder of the modern Olympics, Pierre de Coubertin. But uh, is it, is it a sport that is, it's going to live on the program much longer. What do you think, Bill? Well, it's you're right. Um, it's on life support. Um, the biggest thing it has going for it is that uh, the um, uh, I'm not sure if he's the president of the International Federation or very high up in it, um, but it, the, the the sport is supported by Juan Antonio Samarant Jr who's a very influential member of the IOC and the son of the former president, Juan Antonio Samaranch. And he's pushed his, he's put his support behind modern pentathlon again. You might know better than me. I, I can't recall if he's the president of the Federation or not. But no, no he's not, it, but he has been a very, very active and energetic supporter of, uh, of modern. Pan. Yeah. And, and with that support, the, the, the modern pentathlon is okay for now, but I, I think, if his influence ever wanes or his support drops uh, again, I, I'm not sure that's going to survive. Yeah, because it, it it would be evaluated, measured against new sports like skateboarding, like uh, sport climbing, and so on. And, um, and the thing that the thing the IOC looks at now, they look at a couple things adding sports. One, they want it to be um, you know good for television. 
Um, they want it to look good on television. They want it to be popular on television. They want it to be popular around the world. They don't want sports that are only played in a few countries. Uh, there's a great sport in Southeast Asia called Sepik Tekra, which is basically volleyball with your feet. It's a tremendous sport, but it's only played in about five countries, so that's not going to get on the program. The other thing the IOC looks at is gender equity. Um, they, they're not going to bring a sport in that doesn't have uh, equal programs for men and women, or at least very close to equal programs. I, I've spoken at a few sports conferences about things like this, and I've been asked about American football. Is American football ever going to get in the Olympics? And I, I told them, not as long as women don't play it. I know they do play it a little, but you know, very little. Um, so they're not going to bring American football in because it's not, you know, gender equitable. Um, that's another thing that they look for. They also don't like any more um, subjective sports, you know, judged sports uh, with uh, such as gymnastics and figure skating, where there's all the controversies and it's so hard to tell who actually won. They want objective sports. So, you know, golf at least has that going for it. It's, it's completely objective with a score and a number. Um, and those are a lot of the criteria the IOC uses about uh, picking sports and adding them to the program or dropping them. Yeah, and as a uh, as a uh, former former pro golfer, how you eval evaluate the uh, the way the golf uh, golfing has gone now in the uh, second uh, second edition of the Olympics since it's been added back onto the program? Yeah, it's it's gone. Well, in, in, in 2016, the women were really in favor of it. The men were not so much. A lot of them dropped out and, and they were they all cited the um, excuse of the Zika virus, which was a terrible excuse because I never saw a mosquito in Rio de Janeiro. I don't know about you, Ed, but um, not, uh, the women the embraced women. it. Yeah, the women embraced it in 2016. They have again in the men's competition, again, had a, a popular winner was Xander Shoffley here. Um, so that was good. And a lot of the top men pros were here and it was a, you know, a very good competition um, with them all uh, right up there at the top. Uh, you know, the Americans had another uh, Colin Marikawa played off for the bronze medal in that large playoff too. So I think golf has done fairly well at these games. And the women are tearing up the course. Uh, yeah, really. <laughs> already for, for in their tournament, yeah. which will be. Yeah, Nelly Nelly Cord um, shot sixty two yesterday, and uh, is it one twenty nine? That's low. That's low numbers. Uh, what uh, what events, finishes, uh, races, contests at these Olympics do you think are will be considered historic? Have uh, have we have we seen a that kind of level of, uh, of competition in Tokyo? Sure. Um, there, there's two absolutely that stand out and, um, both in an, in an event that doesn't usually stand out in track and field or what the world calls athletics. And that's the 400 meter hurdles for both men and women in the men's race. You know, it was supposed to be a battle between the Norwegian, uh, Karsten Warholm, who's been winning all sorts of, uh, titles and races in the last couple of years and, and broke the world record recently. And then the American Rye Benjamin, and that's exactly how it turned out. Rye Benjamin actually uh, bettered the world record by a large amount, running 46.17. And yet he lost to Carson Warholm, who destroyed the world record 
uh, breaking the 46 second barrier uh, by running 4594. And I actually uh, tweeted about this on the or not tweeted, I put on the track and field news message board. Um, I, I said it was Beeman-esque, uh, that race. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was incredible. And the women's race, it, again, it came down to, you know, the two favorites, both Americans in this case, uh, Sydney McLaughlin, the younger one, who's uh, Sydney, I think is 21 now. She raced in Rio at 17. And Delilah Mohammed, who uh, was the uh, 2019 world champion and had the world record that she set there, um, which was broken by McLaughlin at the Olympic trials. And again, it came down to those two, and they both bettered the world record with Sydney McLaughlin winning in low 51 second time. Um, and again, shattered her own world record, uh, which Muhammad also bettered. So both races were uh, epic. And there was an extraordinary display of sportsmanship, if you will, uh, following the high jump the men's high jump that may, I think, be remembered for years to come where the uh, two top finishers uh, decided not to go into a, uh, into a jump off. Uh, John Franco Tambari and uh, Mutaz Essa Barshim of Qatar right. decided yeah. to share the gold medal. And that hasn't happened very often. Yeah. Actually, it's, it's never happened. Uh, that anyone has sh- elected to share the gold medal uh, in a track and field event um, uh, previously. There's only been one other tie in a track and field event back in the 1908 pole vault. Um, they, they have that option. You can't make them jump if they both say, no, they don't want to jump. It, it becomes a tie. And uh, yeah, you're right. It was a great sportsmanship. Uh, the Italian, you know, Barshim was favored. He's been the best high jumper in the world for about five or six years. And for Tim Barry, it was a bit of an upset. So he was uh, uh, crazy excited when he got the gold medal by his uh, uh, actions on the track that night. 50, 50 years from now, when uh, someone else is writing the history of the Olympics and putting it all in perspective, what do you think will be said about Tokyo? What will be the, the top lines that, uh, that historians uh, present, recall about Tokyo? 2020. Well, I think they'll talk about the fact that it was held during a pandemic. Um, however, I, I think with time that will fade and the athletic performances will be remembered uh, a little bit more. Uh, I, I think they'll still mention the pandemic, of course. Um, and I, I think they'll, um, you know, the important things they'll remember are, uh, you know, Emma McKean's seven medals uh, in swimming. Um, Caleb Dressel also won five gold medals for the U.S. in swimming, which, you know, is pretty impressive. It kind of pales in comparison to some of Michael Phelps and Mark Spitz's things, but five gold medals uh, in one Olympics is pretty amazing. Dr. Bill Mallon, Olympic historian, has been our guest on this edition of the Tokyo Report from Around the Rings. I'm your host, Ed Hula. Thanks very much for joining us today. Your best source of news about the Olympics is AroundTheRings.com.